Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Well, hello and welcome once again to Australia's Hour of Investing Power. It's the show that's as great as you want it to be. This is Spotty Live in lockdown from Melbourne Town. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to answer your questions live on air. So send them right, uh, send them in right now. So you can text us 0480-079-089 or you can email us question at spotty.com.au. You will see these details appear at the bottom of your screen throughout the show, of course, but Put it into your smartphone and it makes it easier when you have that scratch that you need uh, itched uh, or itch that you need scratched. I always get that mixed up. Anyway, let's bring in today's chief spotters, starting with Richard Hemming from Under the Radar Report. G'day, Richard. How are you doing? Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, and uh, your contribution always highly valued by our uh, viewers, of course, Richard. Uh, but, you know, we may very well have some new viewers who uh, aren't familiar with your work and, of course, the media empire that you've built there at Under the Radar Report. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your investing style and how you help investors every single day? I've obviously been watching the series on the Murdochs like the rest of us, but um, <laughs> no, we are... We are looking for growth stocks. I mean, that's what gets us out of bed and under the radar. So growth is is what drives, I guess, a lot of activity in the share market. And I guess by the name under the radar, it sort of indicates that we're looking at stocks that aren't as widely covered by brokers or fund managers. Um, we also cover big blue chips, but you know, our primary focus is on small caps, where we, um, you know, we like finding stocks that are under recognized and then stocks that when they when they get the recognition they can really take off that's right yeah and uh, and hence the uh, the name under the radar report dot uh, com dot au actually so under the radar reports dot com dot au if you want to learn more about the services that richard offers and how um, he goes about doing his research to uncover his hidden gems. Well, next is a great friend of the program and the station, of course. It's uh, our great mate, Gary Stone from Share Wealth Systems. How you doing, Gary? Yeah, very well, thanks, Elio. Good to be on again. Yeah, and fingers crossed, uh, you know, lockdown can be eased a little bit. So the next time we'll finally have you back here in, in this studio. But uh, look, before then, of course, and... You know, and folks, if you haven't downloaded that ebook yet, 16traits.com, I encourage you to do so if you haven't done so already. But Gary, just in case someone's watching this program for the very first time, they haven't watched a previous episode, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and more importantly, how you help investors every day at Share Wealth Systems? Sure, Elio. I guess our, our forte is mechanical trend following systems. That's what we've been doing. 25-year-old uh, business, uh, been doing mechanical systems for 22 years. Uh, the original mechanical system that we released in 19 October of 1998, still going strong. Uh, it's a it's a medium-term, shorter-term system. 
but we also have a longer term uh, system uh, which is uh, which is really like falling off a log compared to trading. It's more an investment system. That longer term system, uh, 4.75 years now, been going. Real money portfolio, uh, compounded returns just over 19% compounded returns. So mechanical trend following certainly works. And the beauty about mechanical is that uh, you're, by removing discretion, you really can get a process down to 15 minutes to half an hour a week without worrying about anything else. That's right. And making it nice and easier. Freeing up time, of course, to watch this program, Gary, which uh, we encourage everyone to keep doing, of course. So we're uh, ready uh, to go. All we need are your questions. So send them through right now. But before we get started, just a reminder that all the information in today's show is of a general nature only. None of it. Uh, takes into account your personal objectives, situations or needs, and therefore, should you decide to act on any of this information, you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances. Yes, past performance is no indicator of future performance, as we need to remind you all. And uh, if you wish to discuss any of this content with anyone other than your significant other in life, then you need to do so with an advisor that's licensed to do so. And uh, another reminder, of course, um, when it comes to the stocks discussed, our guests uh, often will tell you whether they do have an exposure in them or not. But often in the heat of battle, we do forget. We're more than happy to take your questions directly if you do have a question and want to seek some clarification in regards to um, any stock of interest and whether we do have a holding. And as I alluded to, for the next hour, Spotty is proud to be powered by our sponsors at ShareWorld Systems. Now, since 1995, uh, as you heard Gary say, ShareWorld Systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio with that rules-based mechanical approach that gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can win the race of investing life, then go to the website, shareworldsystems.com, and be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any uh, decision. And of course, if you've got a question about it, you can ask Gary today. Just send in your details uh, uh, through in a moment. Okay, so as we go to where, gentlemen, the market currently in the green, we've got the XJO up 0.9%, the XAO up 0.8%. It looks like the banks are doing the heavy lifting today. I think that is definitely the case. That recent trend back to them has uh, gone well. So let's go to uh, the topic of the day, gentlemen. And it's an interesting one. Um, well, the question or the topic is, should investors take the price rise in link administration or should they ride it out? Now, for a bit of background there, folks, Carlisle and Pacific Equity Partners yesterday lobbed an opportunistic bid of $5.20 per share. Now, that bid is unconditional, non-binding, and everything else that can get them out if they need to. Now, the price has risen at the moment to $5 a share. A major shareholder, Yarra Capital, is actually pushing back on the deal and says that uh, uh, investors shouldn't accept the offer. So it's an interesting time, Richard, because the price has spiked or it did spike initially on the back of the, um, uh, I suppose, you know, let's uh, just call it the Hail Mary. And, but it's not at that $5.20 price. And many who have been holding this long suffering business may be thinking, is this the time to take the money and run? So what's your thoughts in regards to LINK? LNK is their code for those of you playing along at home. Oh, well, it's really interesting that this was actually a company once rated as a growth company, you know, back in the day, but such has been its underperformance that I think everyone's just sick of it. And a lot of fund managers just want it off, like Perpetual, just want it off their hands. But I think um, definitely, I, I mean, well, when you say definitely, I'm, nothing's for certain, but it looks like the first salvo in what could develop into an interesting sort of um, war because you've got, I guess, this question of its of its um, Pexa business, 
which is, mm. you know, on the books at 700 million, you know, could be worth up to a few billion dollars. What happens with that, you know, these private equity guys will come up with some pretty nifty solutions, um, like, you know, BC distribution or something, piping that off. And they also have some deep knowledge having been on the board of it. So there's, I think there's a long way to go. Like, I mean, basically, as you said, Yarra is not happy with $5.20. They're a pretty important player. So I definitely think um, I, th I think it's got a way to go. It'd be interesting to hear what um, Gary thinks. Well, Gary, it's up to you. I mean, Richard touched on the PEXA deal, which is their growth engine um, in regards to the uh, the property administration, and a lot of people have high hopes for that. Uh, but the other side, uh, the you know the share registry stuff, the fund administration stuff, has been a laggard and really a dead weight on the business for some time. Its share price reflects that. Do, do investors take this pop or, you know, how do you educate investors when you see these non-indicative, non-binding sorts of agreements come across the board? How should investors treat it from here on in? Well, well the tough thing about uh, bids like this is that it, it takes the market away. So we don't have a normal market mm. and effectively the market becomes the bidders. Um, and you're not going to find you know, investors paying more than five dollars twenty, and you're not going to find you know, wanting, you're not going to find people wanting to sell you know for less than five dollars or thereabouts. So, so we get we get a, we're probably going to get a range of what we call inside days. Yesterday was quite a volatile day, um, but in today's very narrow range day, that's what's going to happen. Why? Because uh, there's no market. When I say no market, very little market. It's like going to a, a house auction, and you know, there's a hundred people there, and there's only you know two bidders. Yeah, uh, it's just not a market. Um, so it's uh, it, it's that, that's the situation. So from a technical analyst point of view, we just got to wait this out. How have we done this over the years? Well, when we researched our first, when we released our first mechanical system back in 1998, it was quite a vexed question because that was our original and our still our, our second main mechanical system is a market-wide um, mechanical system, and and hence it, it, there's lots of opportunities that come up with these little blocks you know, that we can get into. Uh, there's offers on them all the time. So we came up with a rule based on research. We called it the 20 day rule, which is basically a month. And we wait and see what happens after a month. And if after a month, there, there's no movement, because effectively your money's tied up. And yep. it depends whether you're a long term or a medium term or a shorter term type investor, but your money gets tied up in no market. And that, what, what that does is it doesn't allow it to go somewhere else to, to potentially get gains where you find momentum, you find breakouts and things like that. So that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is to take some money off the table. So now you're doing this through money management rather than um, rather than what the market's doing and leave some there to see what happens. You know, obviously, it was in a downtrend uh, from the middle of the year. It was a pretty steady downtrend. So uh, most people uh, who've, who've, been, who've got into the stock in the last you know, three or four months, uh, in fact, probably the last, uh, going back to the last six months, you know, would be in the red. Um, so. Um, so it depends. They might have gotten at the bottom. You never know. They might have bottom picked it. But the point is, that it has been a downtrend. So some people would probably be better off now take some money off the table and let the other ride and see what happens after 20 days, reassess, and then see what happens from there. All right. Well, look. You know, I have to try to put my previous biases behind because I did work very closely with Link Administration in a past life, and I could tell you it was an incredibly frustrating experience from the fund administration side. From an investor's sort of hat, you know, looking at it, the PEXA one is a really interesting question that Richard raised because almost immediately after they put in the bid, um, Carlisle and Pacific Equity Partners came out and said, well, look, hey, we're happy to actually take PEXA off the table. We just want the bones of what it is that's been the disaster or basket case. Uh, very typical of that turnaround 
sort of strategy that a lot of these private equity guys do. So in this instance, if you've ridden it all the way down, I mean, the question is, why would you have been in this stock for so long? But if you had been, um, if you've taken it all that hit, then you're, you're at a marginal point where, you know what, it might actually be worth to see what actually does come out of this. Often the sum of two separate parts will actually be worth more than the collective together. And that may very well be the case with link administration. But, you know, there, there's obviously going to be a bit more water to pass under the bridge. I do caution, though, it isn't in stone, this offer. They could just easily say it's too hard and walk away. To which then, well, you're going to get back to previous levels. All right then, gentlemen, so let's get to the stocks from our questions. I want to start with one from Peter who sent his question through the other day. It's a, one of the larger caps on our exchanges, Woodside Petroleum, WPL. Richard, yeah. um, I do want to start with you on this one here. It, look, obviously from Peter's perspective, um, it, it offers the highest yield in regards to the large cap type stocks so, or large cap energy stocks, I should say, qualify that. Um, you know, the, the stock price is still relatively reasonable. You're not paying nosebleed. Um, levels uh, for it at this point here. Do you have a view in regards to this mighty oiler, WPL? Uh, yeah, luckily luckily for us, we hired a really good resources analyst and he has a view, yeah. <laughs> which I'll try I'll try faithfully to relate. But I think, I think it's going to struggle because it's going through a transition period where to sort of lower margin contracting. So they're acting as a refiner. So they've lost their resources base. And the question for them is, well, do they build up that resources base again at big expense or do they, um, you know, generate money through through a lower margin contracting business? Um, the outlook for, I guess, the share price will very much be determined by the oil price. Um, so I think it pretty much, um, boils down to that and on the dividend side we're factoring in lower dividends for longer yeah than we've seen historically because this company has been very good at playing the dividend game very good they're one of the pioneers in the resources space at that but um that's what our view is and that's what invoked the loyalty of a lot of investors there uh, gary but you know i mean when you're talking about the best oil stock on our stock exchange and yet it has underperformed perennially the All Ordinaries Index for year upon year upon year, you know, it, it makes it a very tough argument, doesn't it? I mean, am I looking at it too simplistically or is there something else I should be looking for? Well, unless uh, the person asked the question knows something we don't know uh, or that I don't know and you don't know, uh, you know, it's just there's so much better opportunity elsewhere. It, it's uh, for, for many years, going back many years, I mean, from 2005 to 2005, 19, it's a long time, 14 years, $30 or thereabouts or slightly below was the support area. And it fell through that gap down there very strongly, went all the way down to a, 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 a resistance area from the year 2000, uh, which is just a <laughs> $15 mark. It bounced off that. It looks like it's heading back down to that $15 mark again. And we'll see if it finds support there. But you know, our, 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 this was one of the darlings of the market when I was cutting my teeth in the 90s. Uh, I got in and out of it then. We had some, you know, did some great trades in it. Uh, and it went all the way to, you know, 2007 to 2008, just before the 2008 GFC. And it's been just pathetic since then. Uh, sure, it might have a good yield, but, you know, if, you, if you're getting, you know, 3, 4, 5% uh, or whatever the yield, I'm going to check in the yield. I could just quickly have a look. But if you're getting it, if you're getting that, uh, what is it? It's 6.47% yield. If you're getting that, but you, you're losing it in capital growth, uh, it's um, or going nowhere and missing out on, on what's been a fantastic market, you know, in the last few years. Um, 
You just, you just want to have your money somewhere else, I think. Yeah, well, the good news is Peter's looking at a potential new opportunity, but hopefully that guidance has been able to provide some assistance there. Uh, Richard, I need you to tap your resources analyst once again. It's a stock that frustrates many investors. The question comes from Phil um, in regards to Grange Resources, code GRR. He notes how cheap it is, and it is. Uh, it makes the uh, magnetite pellets, the, the iron ore pellets, which is a higher grade. They command a higher price on market. We know iron ore prices have been going through the roof. This thing spits cash. It makes so much money. It doesn't know what to do with it. It can't even pay. Anyway, I won't go into it. But I'll be very interested in your view in regards or your analysts if they've had an opportunity to look at GRR because this would be one of those, you know, growth sort of value plays. And you know what? The market ain't buying it. Would you? Uh, definitely, I think he's a bit more sceptical than the bulls on this stock. Like, I mean, I think it's small relative to other iron ore producers at 2 million tonnes a, a year. But what the, the thing that it has in its favour of it is its uh, magnetite is um, like generates a high price because it's like 67% iron. Mm. So, but there's a high cost of getting that magnetite. So it's, 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 like it's also in a transition phase and it's sort of battling to keeping the company kind of going. It seems to have been battling for some time. And I think, you know, you look at the yeah. share price and that's that's uh, factored in there. So you've got uncertainty in the life of the mine plan, potential failure, and this is what he wrote, potential failure on the east wall of the pit introduces uncertainty in the production profile. So it needs probably further capital to repair old equipment um, started, a, started a property development arm, which is at odds with the core business. Nah. So, it's, uh, so I think there's a couple of like there's a couple of um, red flags there, Ilya, that, that he's looking at. Um, old assets, mine that's been threatened with closure many times. So I guess he's not he's not a believer. No, and fair enough too. And actually, Phil, I'll point you to an episode that we ran on September 9th. You can go to the website spotty.com.au. David Novak from Wealthwise Education knows this business incredibly well. He's spoken with management a number of times and he provided his latest update and insights in regards to GRR. And uh, he would tend to believe, no, uh, the market's not missing anything. Uh, and, you know, anyway, tune into that episode there and have a listen to what he says about the company because it's quite insightful, very much echoes uh, young Richard's sentiments um, there. And yeah, look, unfortunately, it's cheap for a reason. Uh, the next stock uh, that I just want to touch on was from Adrian, uh, who sent us uh, the question again the other day. So I want to touch on this one here because it's been very patient waiting. The stock is uh, Piedmont Lithium, code PLL. Now, really, there's only one thing that matters here with PLL at the moment, and that's the five-year agreement that it's signed with Tesla uh, to, uh, to uh, deliver a spodamine concentrate. Now, this agreement basically will start when PLL actually starts mining the stuff and processing it. And there's also a possibility to extend that contract by some five years. Now, there's a number of five, there's a number of advantages here uh, for PLL. One is that they're an American producer, which shores up that local stuff, fits in with the uh, narrative that the Americans are saying at the moment, re reducing their reliance on China. Two, Tesla's going to take one third of the company's whole spoonamine production. Uh, and basically it will account for 10 to 20% of all revenues it de-risks also the building of the processing plant that they're looking to build at, in uh, North Carolina for some 377 million US dollars, which will mean they'll probably have to tap the market either in debt or capital to raise that in order to do it. Now, 
whilst they're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to have to compete with other, uh, you know, I suppose, uh, spodamine converters because the processing plant's not just for Tesla, it's going to be uh, for, uh, for others. What investors are secretly hoping for is that Tesla say, you know what, bugger it. Uh, we're selling so many cars, we need more of the stuff that you got. And really that will then spur some further uh, future growth and lock in that revenue. Now, here's the thing, the price spiked on the back of that Tesla news, as you would expect. However, as I discussed yesterday, when you see those spikes, one of the things I like to see is the price actually consolidate. And a great little tip that Gary just gave us a little earlier, that 20 day rule, wait for the price to settle, see where it goes and then possibly consider it, may very well be in play here. To which I'm going to defer to you now, Gary, on this, because that chart, as you can see, it did spike on PLL, but it's now been retracing and it's retracing quite heavily. So um, where do you think a base may be set or is it just too risky to play this game right now? Well, um, if you, when you look at the breakout, it's, a, it's just a classic breakout. And, uh, you know, the, the old story about um, you know, somebody's got to type up the minutes and, and whatever, you know, the news was out. Yeah. <laughs> it has been out for a while on this one. Um, so somebody knew, I'm not accusing anybody of insider trading, but somehow people find out about it. And the, the volume started growing a little bit uh, earlier on. But we, you know, we've had two brilliant, we've had three brilliant trades in this going all the way back to seven cents on our trader uh, system, SPAR3 Trader. And it, 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 I wouldn't be getting in now. Uh, you know, the entry on this was down at sort of 12, 13 cents. And it's, so we're in the middle of a trade. It, it's a short-term play because there's still so much uncertainty around it. It's definitely a trading stock. It's not a buy and hold yet um, from you know, or, or a longer-term horizon based on what Tesla might do with it. Um, but you know, what's, it, what's the old thing? Uh, buy on rumor, sell on fact. Yeah, sell on fact, um, yep. And so the fact isn't quite in there yet. But if that does come out, there'll be a settling period uh, and the market's still having an arm wrestle about it, still trying to work it out. I wouldn't be looking to get into it now. I think it's a little bit late. Sure, that doesn't mean it's not going to you know, spark up again, but the, the odds are there's going to be a bit more of a retracement from here and an exit signal on a, on a shorter term basis than, uh, than actually getting in at the stage. And maybe there'll be an opportunity to get in again if, if Tesla does, if this does play out. But right. I should say, yep. anyway, there's always opportunities again in the future. We just don't want to be chasing you know, stocks by getting in them too late. Yeah, no, very fair point. I mean, there's no immediate rush. And there'll always be another opportunity to be had too. There's no need to get hung up on just one ticker code. Uh, Richard, I'll ask you a question from young Josh who texted us on 0480-079-089. If you've got a question, folks, please, by all means, send it through. Josh wants to know our view. Well, he's talking about the, you know, that, the plant protein macro theme. Um, he, and he actually sent through a number of stocks, and this is the last in his list that he sent through, this uh, dissertation that I've been going over the last few days. It's a wide open agriculture, code is WOA. Um, you know, specializes in lupins. I love salted lupins, I can eat them all day. They're great things to have during the movies, but, uh, but obviously we're looking at a much larger scale here in developing a protein that could possibly uh, replicate, you know, uh, uh, animal-based protein. So, in regards to WOA, uh, what's your view in regards to uh, the business? Do you have one, uh, Richard, has it come on your radar in recent times? A couple of subscribers have brought it up because, you know, there is a lot of hype in this space and mm. um, definitely everyone's sort of into the next big thing, aren't they, right yeah. now? Um, this one, like, recently did an $8 million capital raising. So they there is sufficient liquidity to trade it, um, but it's... It's, um, I guess, 
like how we look at it is its revenues is so small, 500,000 for the fourth quarter. So you're looking at years of losses. The, the Lupin idea is interesting, um, like in that it, I think it enables um, the production of a low-fat meat protein alternative. So that, that gives it an interesting flavour, so to speak. But I think um, we're, we're looking at a company that we forecast has sort of many years of losses ahead. Mm. So it plans to build a supply chain, supply other brands, launch products. There's all these plans. But I mean, the bottom line is it's early stage faith and the valuation is very faith based. So it's worth keeping an eye on, but we wouldn't be jumping in. All right, then. Now, get, uh, Richard, we're going to come to you with the, the two stocks to see the light on in a moment. So we'll let you get uh, prepared for that. But before we do that, Gary, I just want to touch on an interesting stock. It comes from young Anthony, who also texted us this question. It relates to CAN Group. Uh, the code is C-A-N. Now, it's a cannabis company. Uh, it, there was a large uh, stakeholder Canadian business called Aurora, which had an 11% interest in the stock. Last week, it sold their share in the business, and he wants to know whether it's likely to see an impact on their distribution, whether supply is going to be affected, and over the medium to longer term, is CAN a hold? Now, I'll give you just a very top level um, uh, review in this regards, Anthony, because obviously there's a lot of moving pieces here. Aurora was seen as a bit of a key peg in the strategy. That's obviously not playing now. The medicinal cannabis markets are expected to rise. They are expected to see strong demand. However, as has always been the case with a lot of these guys, it's not a necessarily a scarce resource. It's not like you can really put all that much patent protection on it. It's a very competitive market, and there was a lot of hype that was in this stock, and we've seen a lot of that just go up in smoke in recent times. Now, Gary, the reason why I want to segue this into you is because I don't need you to tell me which direction the price chart is going in. But the two things I want you to consider, remembering Anthony asked about medium long-term and then on the CAN chart, where would he had started to question his investment thesis that this perhaps was not going to meet that? Because, you know, without being, you know, 100% expert at it, I don't apply my trade uh, in the art of uh, technical analysis, but I reckon I'd put money on that there were some signals in there that Anthony should have heeded. And I think this would be a great education piece. So CAN is the company code, folks. Absolutely, Elia. The, uh, the, the signals, I don't know when he looked at, so looking at it, certainly the, the, first, uh, the, the first downtrend, the first move down, and I'm looking at a swing chart here, just three day swing. So I'm looking for troughs and peaks. Uh, but the first was back in uh, July, early July, when we broke through the previous uh, lows, the previous troughs. And that was at around about 84, 85 cents. Uh, then the stock rose at another lower high and another lower low, and then it gapped down. And that gap, which was around about 70 cents, gapped down from mid 80s down to 70 cents. Um, that that was then a, a second you know, confirmation of the previous down down mm. down leg, if you like. And that should have been all bets off at that stage. A gap down of that big okay. is just, uh, just really moving out. And then it's. Yeah, it's been lower highs, lower you know, lower peaks the whole way down, and now it's kind of bottoming around about the thirty-eight and a half cent level. It's at its lowest levels. It's been there down there before in December of two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, if this falls below you know, thirty low thirties and, and heads into the twenties, it's, you know, it's game over, and could, could uh, well, it's really I'd really say it's game over. Um, I wouldn't be getting into the stock again until it reproved itself, and for me that would mean a breakout and staying above. 
uh, above the price of around about 60 to 65 cents. So Whoa. it's a long way from that. It, yeah, it really does way. need to reprove itself. The market, how, when I say improve itself, the market needs to go and find the stock. We looked at GRR you know, just now, you know, dividend yield of eight, you know, I think a P ratio of two, earnings yield of 43. You know, the market, there are other variables out there. And when all the variables combine together, and, uh, and and everybody out in the market is aware of different variables. They're kind of like a big voting system, a big you know, bidding system at an auction. And the bidding mm. system is very much that this is not one to be in at the moment. Yeah, and it's, look, it's... It's your classic bottom pick, Elio. Yeah, no, well, yeah, I know. But the problem is that, you know, when you get these big catastrophic declines from a fundamental perspective, you really need to ask yourself, do you still believe in the company? Is it the best place to allocate your capital? If you firmly believe in the long-term story, you can, then, you know, you need to basically, as hard as this is, commit more funds to it. But that's if you really believe in it. And that's got to be developed through a lot of research, through reading, through understanding, through asking questions. Now, the guests today haven't necessarily portrayed that confidence, I don't think. But obviously, that's um, something you need to uh, need to consider because those funds that you've got, essentially, you make the decision to buy that stock every day. By holding it, you're effectively saying every day you wake up, I'm happy to buy this stock today. Now, if you don't actually feel that way deep down, then there's, I'm sure there's other places in your portfolio where you do have stocks which may have also had fallen, but that capital could be applied there in a stock you do believe in in order to help you, you know, take advantage of the price volatility you've experienced. There's two different schools of thought. We've only got an hour to talk about it, but that money management question, whether you're a fundamental analyst or a technical analyst around a stock like this is often pretty tough uh, to manage. But um, by all means, do keep asking us questions there, Anthony. I hope that helps. Sorry, okay, yeah, Richard. Can I just add to that very quickly? It's, it's not about whether the individual the investor believes in it. It's about whether the market believes in it. And the market talks to us every single day in price. And no matter how we get, you know, if we believe too much in something and and we invest in that based on our belief, you know, we've got to really question it when the market isn't. And that's really what we're going to be looking at all the time. Oh, no, absolutely, of course. And that's, the, uh, that's what uh, the fundamental analyst needs to do to test their theories and see where they're possibly falling down in their ideas. Um, and often you don't have to look too far to find it. Richard, it's time for you to help us see the light on two great businesses that we're going to toddle off and do our own research into in order to be able to determine whether they align with our investment objectives and tolerance to risk. So which companies do you want to bring to our attention this afternoon? Uh, Elio, just before I do, I think I'd just yep. like to make one more point on that on that really fascinating conversation you had. Like, Please. In relation to, um, I guess, these sort of stocks that are very sort of early stage and speculative, our view is that, you know, the advantage of the private investor over the institution is that you can afford to put a few bucks their way. The key is not to put too many bucks their way. So 1% of your portfolio, you cannot afford to hold... 10% of your portfolio in something that is not going to do, that's going to, you know, not going to potentially underperform for 10 years. Yeah. And I've had like lots of experience in my life um, as an investor of just putting a few bucks away and seeing it just sort of dawdling for a while. And then basically some of these companies really can explode. And that's, yeah. what, that's what it's about. So I just thought I'd make that point Good quickly point. because... It does bear in relation to these two stocks. Everything just segues to everything else in life, doesn't it, really? It always but, does. Um, yeah, it always does. I mean, the life of a pundit. But, um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but 
like one stock that, that I reckon is interesting is a stock that's trading at a 75% percent discount to its NTA, um, MMA offshore, MRM, oh, yeah. so you yep. called Mermaid Marine. Now, this stock has been in all sorts of pain because, you know, obviously the oil price collapsed at a certain point and um, there's been lots of um, divestment from the oil majors or sitting on their hands. But the fact is that the company is still an ongoing entity. It's got some debt on the on the balance sheet, a, a lot of debt, that's going to be refinanced in 2021. But it's trading on such a deep discount and, and there is just heaps of operating leverage. So, if, you know, you've got to be aware of the potential for equity financing uh, well, and debt refinancing. But it's definitely one to keep an eye on just because it's so deeply valued, uh, under, undervalued. Um, another one uh, that we liked for a long time, and we haven't liked MMA offshore for a long time, but one stock that we have liked for a long, a long time, it's quite volatile, is Select Harvests. Yep. Um, they did a deal recently, they made a $130 million acquisition um, in some Allen properties, and their shares are bouncing off the capital raising at $5.20. So global almond prices are key for select because they're a price taker and the key the key for almond prices is California. Uh, so I don't know whether you've noticed, but there's been some fires in California recently. Yeah, so I think trouble. that it is a volatile stock, but the, the fact is that almonds are an important source of protein and select has a good production profile. So that's yeah. one. That's one stock to mention. Yeah, one. Select, yeah, Select Harvest has definitely been out there for a while. SHV, for those of you wondering what the code is, and Mermaid Marine, little tugboat operator, uh, uh, MMA, um, Mermaid Marine Offshore. All right, then it's time uh, for us. Just a reminder, if you've got a question, question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480-079-089. And remember, go to the website if you want to uh, watch any of the past episodes or watch replays of them. And, of course, we're on all the podcast channels as well. Now, we're going to continue with our exploration of the 16 trades of successful investing that our great supporters at ShareWealth Systems have made available to all viewers at Spotty at the website 16traits.com. Now, we're lucky to have Gary Stone join us today to discuss the idea of trusting ourselves to overcome. Now, Gary, in the ebook, you mentioned the cyclist Michael Rogers, who said something quite profound after winning his first ever stage of the Tour de France, uh, which he'd competed in, I might add, 10 times before. Now, what he said, uh, and what did he say, actually, and why is it significant? Because it tells us, and you can apply it to investing, can't you, Gary? Absolutely, Elio. Basically, what he said, 10 rows at, at the, at the uh, or 10 Tour de France's, and, and he won a stage uh, after 10 goes. And he basically said in the interview afterwards that uh, you know, things are clearer to me now that I'm not focused on the outcome. Mm. And I just thought that was a classic right-across-life-type comment. But effectively, what people do in, in investing is they, they focus on the outcome. They focus on whether they're going to make a profit, how big the profit is, and, but they won't make a loss and they fear the loss. And uh, in golf, it's the same. You know, if, if you're standing over a putt and you are you focused on whether you're going to miss it or not, you, it takes you out of process. It takes you out of the procedure of how you actually execute rather than uh, and, and you think about what could happen. What happens? You know, you tighten up, the muscles all do the thing, the brain you know, goes into lockdown and things don't become clear. And that's exactly the same in, in investing. So effectively, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to create clarity through process and focus on the process, not the outcome. 
create a process, have that process in place, execute that process, you know, play like you practice and practice like you play, and the outcome takes care of itself. Sure, we're not going to have 100% winners, but the idea is not to have 100% winners, is to have somewhere between 50 to 60% winners. And when you win, you want your winners to be at least two times bigger than your losses. And really, over, long, over the long period and execution, it's a license to print money if you get an edge such as that. Absolutely. So go to the website, uh, 16trades.com, to learn why trusting in ourselves and in the process to overcome will be essential when it comes to building a successful portfolio. Thank you very much, Gary. All right, as we go to air currently, the market's continuing on its positive momentum, continues to rise quite strongly. Uh, the All Ordinary is up 1.06%. The XJO up 1.2% against the banks driving things today. Greg has just sent me an email reminding me that he sent an email on the weekend that I haven't answered yet. And Richard, you're going to be the one stepping up to provide your first crack at it. It relates to the banks, those that are driving the market at the moment. There is a bit of a renaissance um, in them at the moment. Uh, you know, obviously a few things working in the favour. Uh, one being that uh, there's a lot of money swishing around the markets. Businesses are getting supported quite aggressively. And given that banks, you know, touch, you know, any money that flows through the economy seven times over, they seem to be direct beneficiaries of that. Uh, reduction on the, you know, the sort of responsible lending rules. There's a whole range of things that are working in banks' favours. So Greg would like to know whether now is the time to consider re-adding banks. He knows I've been naturally pessimistic on them for quite some time, and I've probably continued to do so. I'll give a bit more clarity on that in a moment. But Richard, do you think banks are now the point where investors can get into them? Uh, well, I think there's an increasing divergence in the valuation of the banks, um, which hasn't hasn't been the case for a long time. So that's what makes it interesting. Uh, so which banks you buy, which is an ad for CBA. Um, but I think definitely on our numbers, on our numbers, on our valuation, CBA looks the most expensive. So um, I myself am selling some CBA. Um, but whether you invest, like the I think the banks overall are, are good value because I think a lot of a lot of um, old economy type businesses have been left behind by this um, big rally, and certainly the banks I think are well capitalised. Um, you know we are going to experience a huge shift in um, I guess insolvency. You know, like a lot of businesses, small businesses have been carried by um, by. Uh, you know, by this job keeper. But I think I think the banks are more leverage to the mortgage business. Like and I think the corporate profits aren't quite as big a factor as they were in the financial crisis. So I think the factors are in the bank's favour for to 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 um, keep churning out the profits in their new status as basically utilities because they've sold off a lot of their wealth segments. So they're, they're kind of getting back to the core of whatever core means, you know, means anything that an executive says, core, core, core. But I think definitely with the banks, they are going to be more boring. But I think with this kind of volatility that we're experiencing, um, you know, banks are a good place to go because they represent value for a long-term investor. Yeah, well, possibly so. I mean, look, I'm still sceptical on the banks, Greg, for what it's worth. Net interest margins continue to remain anemic. Interest rates aren't going to be going up anytime soon, so that's not going to help them. 
And as Richard said, they're, they're designed to become smaller institutions tomorrow than what they are today. And they've got competitors that are going to help them become smaller businesses in the future. There is a looming cliff. I mean, I saw a stat the other day that on average, normally there's around 600 uh, liquidations or insolvencies every single month of Australian companies. Uh, that amount has plummeted to below 200 on the back that everyone's being kept on zombie life support on account of the JobKeeper program. So there is a looming cliff there. Doesn't mean they won't be a buy eventually. I'm sure there'll be some point that there will be. Um, but, you know, from uh, from that side of thing, I think there's still time to, uh, to go before that bus pulls out of the station. Now, how much does, <laughs> I mean, this is not talking about a hundred bag or anything like that. I mean, we're talking about, you know, gains on the margins here from my view. And I just think there's easier investment opportunities um, elsewhere. The only thing you get though, is the fact that it is quite liquid and also um, that it would look like or would appear that the dividend cuts that we've seen, the worst of that may be over. Will they get back to where they were? Don't know, but I think they'll start their uh, you know, recovery um, on the road there. So that's our fundamental view in regards to that, um, Greg. Now, just quickly, there was another question um, uh, just here. I just had to get, find it. Yes, it's from the tech machine. Lisa, you asked about Karoon Energy, code K-A-R. Well, poor old Karoon. Uh, this is a stock that, you know, I've watched gobble up shareholder wealth, much like Richard at a hot dog eating contest. It's just basically been destroyed. Look, from, you know, investors, you know, and the new ones, you know, I can understand you're saying it's a new dawn. First, long-term CEO, Robert Hosking, he's going to retire at the AGM. Unfortunately, I don't think uh, investors are worried about that. Second, They've completed their strategic review and the strategy on focusing on the South Santos Basin in Brazil is the best place to put their money. So that's a tick. And third, they renegotiated deals to buy. Look, they've been an explorer for ages, but they bought a field, the Boana field uh, from Petrobras. Um, now, they've renegotiated the terms of that acquisition, particularly in light of oil price weakness. So that also does help them. And it now makes them a producer. And then they've got the Marina Prospect as well in Peru, which has also got long ho uh, big hopes. So long and short, I really hope this is a new dawn for Karoon. But, you know, I'm always wary of oilers. My comments about Woodside very much rely, uh, you know, relate here. And, you know, with no experience on the production side, I'm going to wait before I commit to this stock here. Um, Gary, another stock, we've just got a question um, on here. It relates to Drone Shield, code DRO. The question comes from Philip. He appreciates that it is a speculative stock, so there's no fundamentals to really uh, back onto here other than the fact that you think that more people are going to use them. So from a technical perspective, he bought them because of technicals. There was a base, I'm going to read what he wrote. He, there was a basing pattern. And then he noticed an uptick on on-balance on volume, which is basically the, the, the flow of money coming from either the buyers or sellers. Going up means the buyers were coming in. And he wants to know whether it's a position he should continue to hold at the moment and what sort of key levels he should be watching. The, uh, the breakout level was 18 cents, which it uh, broke above. It tested that one, two, three, four, probably five times. Wow. And then broke out, it broke out above that in early September. And uh, if you got in below that 18 cent level, well, that, that was a good pick, a little bit of a bottom pick, but nevertheless, if you're in it, uh, I would be holding it. It's having a little bit of a retracement. It's, uh, it's, it's just having a little bit of a breather going sideways. Markets working out whether to take another uptick from here or not. Uh, but that key, it's around about the 20 and a half cent uh, level. 
uh, if it does, uh, if it gets above 25 cents, and I, I expect that it will have a bash of that, it's just created a, a bit of a trough at around about 19 cents. And uh, if, if it has an uptick, a breakout above 23 and then above 25, which is the key, then you could see this, uh, this go a bit higher. And um, the odds are that that will happen. A big volume came in on that breakout at uh, above 18 cents. Uh, so the odds are from purely a technical point of view, knowing nothing about the company, just looking at this chart, is that there's a higher probability right now of that breakout above 25 cents than not. However, on the downside, you always got to risk management first. If it yep. falls, I would say down to 17 cents um, and below, I'd, I'd be cutting out. All right, then, uh, Richard, I do want to ask you about an interesting little business. The code is FDV. The company's name is Frontier Digital Ventures, uh, basically looking to set up, you know, the old trading post online, but doing it in rather unique and remote areas of the world like Pakistan and the like. Now. It's actually a stock that's come up a number of times uh, as questions um, on this program. And, you know, both times, most panellists tend to be quite optimistic about how it looks. And I think its share price has done quite well on the back of that. So is FDV a stock that you're familiar with, Richard? No, I was very interested when um, you asked me to have a look at this one. Like, um, imagine how uh, those executives running this one have gone in the COVID lockdown sort of experience. Because you look at their markets, they're everywhere around the world. They are. Um, their negligible sales loss making more than doubled its shares on issues in the past five years. Yep. It's Camera definitely reasons. cashed up and it's got the Patrick Grove who uh, runs businesses, every business beginning with I, the I man, I car, <laughs> I car Asia. Anything beginning to die, Patrick's in there. Um, small coast, reputable. They're, they're, so it's basically a roller. Um, I don't know. First impressions is that they're investing in a lot of structurally challenged liquid investments. Um, some of these online businesses really take a long time to get traction. Like iCar Asia took a long time. Like yeah. there was a lot of hype in it. This takes a long time and it's a lot harder to get all these verticals, all these buzzwords that go on about the, um, it's just, it's just not easy getting people's money. No, <laughs> no, it's definitely not, but think, you'll go. I think I, I just be a bit of a skeptic at a market cap of 400 plus million. I just, it's a big market cap. I know. And the reason why it's got that market cap, Gary, is because it's, uh, price has done the uh, rocket ship sort of, uh, uh, pattern, I think you technical analysts call it. Um, the question then becomes from here on in, whether it's bluff and bluster or, you know, I'm not going to ask you about that, but again, in the, this sort of rapid movement, and there's a million charts on the market at the moment that look like this. So what sort of sage words of advice would you give someone who is, uh, you know, well, let's take it from the perspective that they held it and they've been able to partake in this rise. What, what sage of advice would you give them right here on in, Gary? Well, the, just looking at uh, the, the chart, the breakout level, dollar fifteen to dollar twenty, and um, now sitting at what a dollar fifty-one. Sorry, we are talking FDV, aren't we? Yeah, FDV. That's correct. Yes, you're right. Yep. Uh, we, we've already had our, our trader products already had you know, two trades in this, and we took profits on that. We had a take profit on the uh, on just a couple of days ago, three sessions ago, and I think from here that the big bar that we had on the uh, t- yesterday, the twelfth. It's a huge, wide-ranging bar. And now we've got an inside day today with the opening a bit higher. So just from a short-term perspective, 
I think there's a little bit of uh, of, uh, of just rationalization going here and wondering where this, uh, the market just really having that arm, arm wrestle about where it's going to go from here. So I'd, I'd be, if you're holding this, uh, the odds are it's going to go higher, um, but not immediately. It, it's going to take a breather. It's run up during the last six months from 55 cents to a dollar fifty. So it's uh, it's probably going to go sideways for a little while. If it does have a breakout, well, then that's just the market saying to you that there's more strength in this. But it's it's indecision at the moment, definitely indecision at the moment. Okay, hopefully that uh, helps you there. Uh, right, PYC Therapeutics is the next co comes from Greg, and they own a what is known as a cell penetrating peptide platform that basically uh, allows them to well, overcome what they call the delivery challenge. That's what they've got branded all over their website in order to provide the uh, a range of potent and precise drug cargoes to what would normally be an undruggable genome. So when you look at the human genome, as it were, there are areas which are not touchable in effect, and they're trying to solve this problem. That gives you a bit of an insight into how difficult this technology actually is and probably where I'm going with my end statement. Now, the thing is, though, of course, is that the value in this is that it exists inside the cell, so it penetrates, it gets in. And the other thing that I really like about it is that it's got a pipeline of novel therapies. Now, initially, it's focusing on you know, blinding diseases of the eye, so things that are caused like through diabetes and the like. Um, there's also further applications like age-related uh, macular degeneration, AMD or NAMD, um, is another thing that they want to do. And yesterday, uh, we also heard of them also going into ADOA. Um, a, new, uh, a new way to uh, treat a, a disease, unfortunately, that affects the eyes. Now, I'm excited by it. I think it's quite uh, good, but it is definitely a high-risk enterprise. Take Richard's word on this one here. You do not put all your capital here. If you've missed it, though, because it has had a good run up, wait for a period of consolidation. I'm going to lean on that 20-day rule that Gary's just given me and I'm going to patent um, because I think that would obviously tell you where things will go because you'll know pretty quick whether it, this is for real or whether it's a Mount Fuji pattern where it sort of goes up and then comes all the way back uh, down again. But I actually quite like these companies where there's a pipeline of drug delivery businesses. That's why I hold ExoFarm, for example, EX1 um, is uh, one of those companies because it's not about the drug technology, it's about the delivery technology. And if that can actually work, then that is actually potentially huge because you can take then current drugs and use that platform to improve their e efficacy. All right, we're going to ask you for your two stocks to watch in a moment, uh, Gary. But before we do, Richard, um, two uh, two companies that uh, another Richard has actually just emailed us. He'd like our view in regards to the mid and long term for two companies: one, Qantas, uh, and two, Elmo Software (EML) or ELM. Sorry, the um, the HR software uh, company, which had a pretty good announcement just the other day. So. Qantas and Elmo, uh, Richard, your view there. Uh, just quickly on that PYC Therapeutics, they've been around for quite a long time. I think they were Phylogica. Yeah. That's uh, right. Just, like, that, that company, like, you know, it's it's in a very complicated sort of realm of the world. And I think that the, the market capitalization of 500 million plus, I think, yeah, I, I would just be very nervous because, that, you know, there was a lot of hype 10 years ago when a a guy won the Nobel Prize for silencing RNA. Um, but like, I just think like they've never been able to get it into the body. It's so it works in it the Petri dish and it te test tube. It doesn't work in the body. Like I just, I think people like, I just, I think there's a lot of hype in the share market and, and you have to be nervous. Um, on the other hand, you have Qantas. <laughs> yeah. 
That's right. Why would you be nervous about that at the moment? I mean, surely that's a lock, right? Where's the risk? I don't know what to say about Qantas. I think Qantas is going to be lucky to survive, really. I think it just looks like a, it just looks like a painful situation that's not going to get any better. Mm. Like, really, I think um, you, you, I, I don't even, I'm sure like when there is some good news, it'll be more than reflected, but it's, I can't see things changing for that for that stock anytime soon. I think if you, whereas if you hold it, I'm not sure the time is to sell. Uh, the time now is to sell. They've raised a lot of capital. They're yes. keeping the brand kicking over. So I wouldn't necessarily be a seller, but I wouldn't be jumping in. Um, what was the other one? I don't know the other one. Uh, Elmo, E-L-M is the other one. It's uh, HR software as a service, remote working type of... Uh, uh, business. It, uh, it did have a massive share price run up. It was quite aggressive. It went up to over $8. It pulled back just as aggressive. It came back to around E-L-O. 5 No, E-L-O. 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 Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. So ELMO. So yes, ELO. Sorry is the code, not the ELM. Sorry. Yeah, yeah like the, uh, electric light um, orchestra. Just, yeah, I, I, that's right. <laughs> I know as much about the electric light orchestra as I know about ELMO software. I just don't. It, it's got a big. It's got a big market cap. Really. I can't. I can't. I can't say too much about this company. Yeah, fair enough. I just yeah. don't. I, it, it has it. So I don't want to. I don't want to get spotty into trouble. That's my no, guiding that, principle. That's fine. That's okay. We'll get Michael Wayne into trouble. Just go and have a look at when he last appeared on the show, Richard. Uh, he's a, a very knowledgeable in regards to um, Elmo, and you can just have a listen there in regards oh, to what his view. Just go to the website. Yeah. Yeah, just go I know to the Elmo and Sesame. Sorry, what was that, Richard? I know Elmo and Sesame Street, but I don't know it on the stock market. Yeah, just as much giggles, I suppose. Well, it would be if you held it from around the dollar. It's been a very good returner, but obviously it depends when you bought it. As with all things in the market, which is why Gary is going to t- take us through two stocks to help us see the light on that we're going to uh, toddle off on and uh, do our own research as to whether these stocks align with our own investment objectives and tolerance to risk. So, uh, Gary, which two companies do you want to uh, bring to our attention this afternoon? Uh, Just a note on ELO, Richard. um, Hopefully most of the listeners know can remember Electric Light Orchestra, the band. Um, Right. The first first stock, the larger cap one I'm going to go with is uh, is CPU, computer share. It's uh, it's had a rounded bottom, basically sideways, had a bounce off from the the COVID-19 crash, been going sideways, underperforming the market, really. Uh, Had a bit of a U bottom and a a breakout that that occurred yesterday, oops day today, which means it opened higher and and has gone traced down a bit, uh, which will be the handle of uh, of the cup. But uh, for a lot for a larger cap stock, that's that's one that uh, that's, if you like might just be starting a trend. Obviously, you need to have a stop in place and define your risk before you get into the trade. The second one, uh, on the shorter term side, there's still a lot of action going on in the gold space. Um, yeah, I, I did a, I did a couple of scans and did some uh, ran my eye over quite a long list of, of entry signals we've had on our on our shorter term trader mm. product. Um, and yeah, I'll run off some. Uh, uh, Calidus, which is CAI, Poseidon Nickel. Wow, there's one, yeah. uh, which is not gold, but it's in that space. Huge jump. Ozgold, AUS, uh, and DevX, which is one that I think I mentioned on the show a few weeks ago and that I do hold. It's uh, it's up close to 100%. Uh, but the one I'm going to go with is Calidus, CAI. Um, that's, uh, that could just be starting a new trend. It's just a textbook breakout, about 65 cents uh, run-up. 
last sideways consolidation period over the last uh, three months and in a breakout and we just need to see a break uh, just to consolidate that breakout but there's one to to keep an eye on yeah so those two uh, codes just again with cpu and cpu and cai calendars yes yeah uh, yeah, no, that's right. A bit of chatter coming around uh, on uh, CAI in recent times and, yeah, reflected in the price breakout that we've seen. Well, that's all we have time for today. So first to Richard Hemming from Under the Radar Report. Thank you for your contribution today. Thank you for having me, Elio. It's always great to be on your show. And if you want more of Richard, undertheradarreport.com is where you can go and learn about their services. And to my great mate, the great Victorian, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems, thank you for your invaluable contribution and commitment to this program. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Elio. Always a good hour of fun with you on the show. And I encourage everyone to please go to 16traits.com and download a copy of the ebook. It costs you nothing, and it will hopefully lay the building blocks for what will be a better investing future ahead. Now, send your questions in early. If you can't tune in live, remember question at spotty.com.au or 0480-079-089. Now, tomorrow we've got David Novak from Wealthwise Education and we've got a spotty debutant, Philippe Bowie from Medallion Financial Group. So we look forward to welcoming him to the spotty family. And remember, any expert that you'd like to see on the show, get in touch with me and them in order to make sure they don't think I'm a telemarketer. Uh, get them to email me at question at spotty.com.au and I'd love to have them on the show as well. Thanks again to our sponsors, ShareWealth Systems. Go to that website, remember, 16trades.com. Thanks, Ticker, for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, Mike, for pushing all the right buttons as always. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Robbo Show. And until tomorrow, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together, we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Take care. Mm -hmm.